We're going to continue with Luke. We're up to Luke chapter 12. And as I've, I know I've been covering a chapter. I, I don't cover the whole chapter, but just a segment of the chapter pretty much each week. But as I look through Luke chapter 12, it's a very long one. And there may be more than one message from Luke chapter 12. This morning we'll begin with the first 12 verses, Luke 12, 1 through 12. I titled the message this morning, Beware of Hypocrisy. And there's a warning, and there's a number of warnings in Luke chapter 12. But today it's Beware of Hypocrisy. Hear the word of the Lord. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So we're to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because it is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him whom after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What an amazing description of how well God knows each and every one of us. He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. I don't even know that. How many hairs are on my head? A lot. But it's how well God knows each of us. He knows us the depths of our thoughts, the depths of our minds, the depths of our being, the very hairs of your head. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Also, I say to you, whoever confess, confesses me, amen, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me, before men will be denied before the angels of God. And, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about what you or about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And that is wonderful. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Because in that time, in that time where you may be under persecution or before those that God wants you to witness to, He will give you the words to speak through the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we just need to learn to rely on that Holy Spirit. Amen? Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, we do praise you and magnify you. And Father, we, we thank you for your Spirit's presence today. Lord, in each of our lives, we know that when we believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins, that your Spirit comes and takes up residence in these 
vessels that you have given us in this temple. Father, we know that your word says that these bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. And Father, may we just allow that spirit to be present and, and just work and move in our lives today and every day, Father. Father, that, that others would see your righteousness in us as we live our lives, that we are only enabled to do that through the power of your spirit working in us. And Father, we thank you. We just pray your blessing, your anointing upon the word today as it goes forth. And Father, again, that, that it would produce a great harvest, Father, for your kingdom, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to first note that it says here that Jesus was speaking to the multitude. It even describes it as an innumerable multitude. You know, we, we have all read the stories when Jesus fed the thousands. We know that the word describes that he fed the 4,000, he fed the 5,000. And it gives a pretty clear number there. And it, it's amazing the miracle that he was able to do there and feed so many people. But here it says an innumerable multitude of people. So it could have been tens of thousands and tens of thousands. Because we know the, when the feeding of the, the thousands, that didn't count the women and children, just the men. So there could have been 100,000 people here. So many that it says they were trampling one another. But I like how he's, at first he says to his disciples, he's speaking directly to his disciples. It says he began to say to them. Now no doubt his 12 disciples were there, but it could very well be that even the 70 were there. And I always kind of like to imagine things in my mind. Was he up on a hillside and where there were many that could see him or or maybe he was down the valley and they were up on the sides of the hills looking to him. But you have the disciples that are very near him. It's almost like they're there to protect him from being crushed by this crowd because there's so many. But he says to his disciples, he's teaching them. So as I study this and think about this, he's teaching those that are going to be the leaders of the church. He's teaching those whom he is going to entrust the furtherance of the gospel message. This is important information that they need to hear. He said, beware of the leaven. Beware of the leaven. Of course, leaven is often used as a reference to sin. Throughout the scripture, all the way back to the Old Testament, you think how God instructed through, or through Moses instructed the Hebrews to clear, clear the leaven out of their homes. Clean the leaven out. Get rid of it. It is a, it is a symbol of sin. It is, it is a symbol of how sin can grow in one's life. Because what is leaven? Now today, most people go to the store and they, they buy their bread. It's already packaged in that nice little loaf. You take the twisty off and you, you take your bread out of there one slice at a time. That's the way most people do it today. But some people do bake bread. I know there's a few bakers among us. But those today, when you bake bread, you're going to use a little packet of what they call yeast, right? But back in that day, that's not how they did it. They didn't go down to the market and buy a little packet of yeast. They would have a portion of dough that would be fermenting, that it would be actually going bad, spoiling. It's rottening is what it's doing. So they'll take just a, they would take just a little tiny piece of that leaven, that fermented dough, 
and put it, they would say they're going to bake bread. They got a fresh new batch of dough, but they'd have to get a little portion of that fermented dough and put it in the new batch, the fresh dough, so that it would rise, to cause it to rise, cause it to puff up. That's a good term for today. It would cause it to puff up and rise. We don't want to eat that flat bread. Now, sometimes we do like that flat bread. But it causes the bread to rise and puff it up. It, it says in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So one little spot portion is going to cause that whole batch of dough to rise up. How important that we understand. I know that the people Jesus was speaking to that day understood perfectly what he was saying because that's the way they had to bake their bread. They knew exactly what he was talking about. He gives them that word of caution. Be cautious. Warning. Be cautious of that leaven, that sin of the Pharisees. And he names the particular sin hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Because if we allow just a little bit of that in our lives, it's going to spread throughout our whole being. If we allow just a little bit of sin in, say, well, it's not that bad. It was just a little white lie. It was not that bad of a thing. Compared to my neighbor, oh, it's not that bad. I'm pretty good. But if we let just a little bit of sin in, what's going to happen? That's going to lead to more sin and more sin, greater sin and bigger sin. It will defile the whole body if we allow the sin in. You know, we see warning signs all around us everywhere, don't we? Pretty much every day we'll see warning signs, caution signs. You know, if you see a caution sign that says, caution, wet paint, are you going to panic and say, oh my gosh, we better not touch that? Well, as someone who has been a painter, I'm not a painter currently, but was a painter for well over 30 years, I can tell you what many people will do when they see a sign that says, caution, wet paint. They're going to go right over there, and they might only take a finger, but they're going to touch it. They're going to touch it. What? See if it's really wet. Well, it's probably been there a while. That sign's probably an old sign. I'm going to go test it and see if it's wet. That's what they're going to do. But on the other hand, if you were traveling down the highway at a pretty high rate of speed, and you saw a sign, it was even one of those signs that flashed the words up on there, that said, caution, the road is washed out ahead. Are you just going to say to yourself, well, that's probably an old sign. I don't believe that. I'm just going to keep on traveling down the road at 80 miles an hour. Are you going to do that? I'm listening. No. no. All right. No, you're going to be slamming on them brakes. You're going to be wowing that car down. Why? Because danger is up ahead. What's the difference? Why are you going to heed the one caution sign and not the other? Because one is life-threatening, isn't it? One is life-threatening. If you ignore that one, your days may be coming to a short end, quickly coming to an end. The other one, you're just going to have to go wash your hands, right? But if you ignore that one, it's life-threatening. Why do we have a strong word of caution against the leaven of hypocrisy? Because it is life-threatening. It is life-threatening. Not just when you look at this life, but let's look at that eternal life. If we allow hypocrisy, the sin 
to dwell in our lives, to be part of our being, it is life-threatening. It will compromise our chance to have eternal life. Hypocrisy means... Now, I'm going to put this meaning in layman's terms because that's generally the way I put everything, in layman's terms. It's pretending to be what one really is not. Pretending to be what one really is not on the inside. So, a lot of times they would use a description of an actor because what's an actor do? They're pretending to be someone that they really aren't. That's what hypocrisy is. Pretending to be more than you really are. It's based on the Greek word hypocrisis, originally meaning to give an answer. In the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus criticizes hypocrisy for being pious in public. There's an example in Matthew 6, verse 2. It says, Therefore, when you do your charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. These men were more interested in receiving praise from humans, from men, than they were about pleasing God. The hypocrites were also very guilty of judging others for their faults, all the while ignoring the same thing in their lives. Ignoring their own faults. Jesus often called the Pharisees hypocrites because of the conflict, be, 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 <clears throat> the conflict between, I can't talk either, between their external actions and their internal attitudes. They were portraying to be something that they really weren't. And remember how that unleavened bread goes through the whole vessel, the whole being? The Pharisees had grown bad. Leaven is bad bread. It's fermenting bread, rotten bread. The Pharisees had grown rotten on the inside. They looked good on the outside, all dressed up in their robes, and they looked all holy and, and like great men. But on the inside... They were basically like dead men. I want to bring this back to the importance of caution. Again, if you see that sign that warns you that your life could be in danger, you're going to give heed to that warning, aren't you? You're going to slow down or whatever it may be. If it says danger, high voltage, you're not going to reach in there and grab them wires. Spiritually, when someone is a disciple, when someone is a leader within the body of Christ... They must not pretend to be something that they really aren't. Don't pretend to be something that you aren't. Don't pretend to be more than you are. Because it is life-threatening. There are souls at risk. Not only your own soul, but those that see you. That those that see the life that you live. If they know that you aren't living the life that you're proclaiming, it's going to maybe cause them from not seeking the Lord. Well, if that person thinks he's holy, man, I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of that kind of a church. We must be as clean and pure on the inside as we appear to be on the outside. As a matter of fact, what's inside is more important 
than what's on the outside. Hypocrisy can be very easy to fall into. It's kind of a natural thing to, to fall into it. You know, from the time we was little babes, we liked attention, didn't we? I mean, a child loves to get attention. They'll throw a fit to get attention if they have to, but a child loves attention. It's a natural thing to desire that attention. So, but when a person becomes a preacher or a leader or a teacher or whatever in the body of Christ, someone that people often look up to, they must guard against that popularity. Seriously. You look at these large churches with pastors that's been very successful, it would be very easy to fall into hypocrisy. Thinking that their heads swell up a little bit. Yeah, Karen, just give me a sign back there. Their heads swell up. They can't only get through the door. It'd be very easy to fall into. The key for the leader is to truly be someone that is worthy of the respect. That means they're pure on the inside. There was a rather puffed up or pompous deacon who was endeavoring to impress upon a class of very young boys the importance of living the Christian life. So he asked them one day, he says, Why do people call me a Christian? Well, after a long pause, one of the youngsters finally spoke up and said, Maybe it's because they don't know you very well. That should not be the way a young person would think of us or speak of us, is it? They should say because you are living a godly life. There's a very good reason to be to beware of not being hypocritic or being a hypocrite or having hypocrisy in our lives. Verse 2 and 3 gives us a very good reason. For there is nothing, there's not one thing, not one single thing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed on the housetops. There's not one single thing that we can hide from God. Now, I have never been backstage on a theater. Matter of fact, I've only been in a couple little theaters. I've never been in any big Broadway theaters or anything like that. But I, So I'm just using what I maybe have seen on TV. So you go to the theater, and backstage... There's what they call dressing rooms, right? And you go into those dressing rooms, what are you going to find there? You're going to find chairs that the actors or the, you know, whatever, or the models, whatever, will sit in. But in front of those chairs is mirrors, and those mirrors are surrounded by what? Lights. They're surrounded by lights. Now listen, those lights are not there just for decoration. Those lights have a purpose. And those lights, the purpose of those lights is they're going to, they're going to make your face shine. They're going, to, they're going to reveal any imperfections in your face. Now, if I'd go sit down in front of one of them and say, man, look at all those wrinkles. Look at all those, those imperfections. But that's what the lights are for. They're to reveal the imperfections in that model's or that actor's face so the makeup person can cover them up, make them look really good, right? That's what the light's for, to reveal the imperfections. Friends, light reveals. 
light reveals. We might think we're hiding in the darkness, we're hiding from God, but sooner or later, God's light is going to reveal. God is light. He is the revealer of secrets. There is nothing hidden. We might think we're putting on a good show, but God sees it, God knows it. 1 Chronicles 28.9 says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve Him with a loyal heart. Isn't that worth pausing? Serve God, friends, with a loyal heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts, and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek Him, he will, be, he will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. He will cast you off forever. You know, a person that portrays themselves to be a good and godly person, but inside they're really a hypocrite. You know, they might fool people for a while. They might fool some of the people, maybe fool them for a long time, but they will never fool God. Friends, we will never fool God. We must have a loyal heart, loyal to Him and loyal to His body. Beware of hypocrisy. Verses 4 and 5 said, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I say to you, who, I say to you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear him. <clears throat> you know, according to Christian research, a firm that is affiliated with Gordon Conwell, it is estimated that in the last 10 years alone, there have been over 900,000 Christians martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. So I wondered, well, is there research to show even all the way back to Christ? Well, late researcher David Barrett says that he, he feels that a, there were approximately 70 million Christians martyred for their faith since the time of Christ. Who knows how accurate that is? But 70 million people have not been afraid to give their lives for Jesus Christ. Have not been afraid. There is no way that that many people would have died for a lie. You wonder if this is all true? There is no way 70 million people would have died for a lie. If you remember just a few weeks back preaching at Easter, how Gamaliel... Actually, this might have been after Easter. Because Gamaliel stood up for the apostles because they wanted to put him in prison or have him put to death. But Gamaliel says, now listen. He speaks to the religious leaders. He says, if this is, if this is from God, if this man's teaching is from God, we will find ourselves fighting against God. So let's just let them go. If it's not of God, it will fade away. It will fade away and come to nothing. Well, my friends, over 2,000 years, well over 2,000 years, and it has not faded away, and over 70 million people have given their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. It is not going away, has not gone away, 
and will never go away. Because it is real, He is life, He is true. How could that many people suffer and die for Christ? How could they? How could they give their lives? Well, I think they understood as Paul taught in Philippians 1, 19-24. For I know that this... Let me begin again. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the, sup- and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also will be, so also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Friends, there's why we don't have to fear. Because to depart and be with Christ is far better than what we have here. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says to die is gain. He did not fear death for one moment. Not one moment was he afraid He was not afraid of those who could kill the physical body because he knew of his eternal reward that awaited him. My friends, the devil does not want you to know this. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you to be afraid of sickness. He wants you to be afraid of death. We don't want sickness, but we do not need to fear death. We don't don't need to worry and fret about anything and everything. We don't have to fear evil people that may bring harm to us, may even put us to death. We don't have to fear that. Jesus said, Do not fear those who, can, who will kill the body, but after that, there is nothing more they can do. It's done. They can't do any more. They have absolutely no power over our souls. Evil people and Satan has no power over our souls. They have no power over our eternal life. But that is what's most important, our eternal life. Jesus often said to His followers, do not be afraid. Here He says, do not even be afraid to die. Don't be afraid of those who will put that body to death. This is just a very, very temporary dwelling place. But we know what awaits us, that crown of righteousness because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Fear Him. Fear Him who after He has killed has power to cast into hell. My friends, so that is who we are to fear. Fear God. Now there might be some people out there that say, well, I don't want to serve a God that I have to be afraid of. Oh, I'm just, it's scary. I don't want to be afraid of a God that will, you know, can cast into hell. We are always to have a respectful fear of God because He is an awesome and powerful God. He is the creator of all these things, that we, the entire earth and all that we see. But how can we fear Him and love Him at the same time? How can we? Well, we can because godly fear 
is not the same of the same kind of fear that we would have of an evil person or a tyrant or a dictator. We don't need to fear God's anger and God's wrath unless we haven't repented of our sins and made Him Lord of our lives. Now for that person out there, for there's one listening that maybe haven't repented of their sins, then yes, you need to fear God's wrath. But those who believe on Jesus Christ need not fear His wrath. Wrath, The fear of God is absolute reverence and awe for Almighty God, the Creator of all things. You know, we get some glimpses of heaven, what it will be like. We know that around His throne, there are the creatures around His throne that cry out continually, Holy, 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 covering their faces because He is a mighty God, all-powerful. We need to serve Him. We know that He saved us, saved us from, from hell when we believe on Jesus Christ. We should express our gratitude and our love and have reverence for Him in our hearts always. You know, to commit sin is to, to consciously do something that you know is against God's will. It can be in word or deed or even in thought. James 1, verses 12 through 15 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say to you when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There we go. We can look back to that leaven again. Just that little piece of leaven you put in there. But what's it do? It affects the whole lump. So that little bit of sin, if we allow it in, when it becomes full grown... What's it say? It will bring forth death. We cannot allow it. We must get rid of it. We can't allow it to be in there. We must stop it immediately. You know, once we've been watching some old Andy Griffith. We need to do like Barney. If sin enters it, we, sin is tempting us or getting in, what's Barney say? Nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. When you think of that, as I, as I thought about this, it was really kind of funny. When he doesn't know how... Uh, Amazing, that little phrase is, nip it in the bud. Because the bud is what? The real small, just the beginning of something that's going to burst forth and become something bigger, right? You find the bud on a tree, it's just tiny, but it's going to grow and become a large leaf. Or that little bud, that strawberry bud that's down there in the ground just coming forth. That's going to burst forth and produce a big strawberry, hopefully. But So you nip it in the bud while it's still small. It's the same thing we need to do with sin. We need to nip it in the bud, get rid of it immediately before it grows and affects the whole body. I want to close with Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. So I have a reading at the end just as long as at the beginning. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. 
For you who judge, practice the same thing. My friends, that is hypocrisy. We're judging others for the sin in their lives and we're doing the same thing. We are a hypocrite. But you know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are tracing up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. We need to pause for a moment let that sink in. God will render to each one according to his deeds. But when we have Christ, his sacrifice covers our sins. So we will be judged according to Christ. God will see us through Christ. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek to glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. That will be their reward, indignation and wrath, to those who are self-seeking, to those who are hypocritical, those who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. They will see the wrath of God. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But friends, I could say this as, But friends, listen, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. My friends, it's wonderful that He gives us His Word. He gives us a warning, what to be cautious of, what to watch out for, so that we can make sure that we are good, on the inside, that we are pure on the inside, that we have a good heart. We should all say, Lord, search my heart. And if there's anything in there, anything, any impurity, Father, cleanse me. Show me what I need to get rid of. Show me where I need to do better. If we cry out to Him with a true heart, a pure heart, He will hear. He will show us what we need to do. If there's anything in our lives that we need to clean up, He will do it. He will help us by the power of His Spirit. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to be a good and godly example for Him that others would come to Him through the life that we live for His glory. Amen?